0: The reading is from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. It's on page 198 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand. The Gospel is taken from Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, on page 71, again in the New Testament section of the Bible. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ.
1: May thoughts and words be to the glory of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. That was a very nice surprise, wasn't it, when uh, Roland sang at the beginning. I was going to sing at the beginning of this moment, but I thought better of it. Do you remember that old musical, The Fiddler on the Roof? It was a while ago, but some of you are just old enough to remember it. The main character, Teve, sang, If I Were a Rich Man. If I Were a Rich Man. In that song, he actually prays to God in a very Jewish way Dear God, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune? When his friend, Perchik reminded him that money is the world's curse, Teve responded, May the Lord smite me with it and may I never recover. A very realistic view. I wonder if the UK couple who won the 195 million pound lottery the other week will ever recover or the U.S. winner of what was it 1.54 billion dollars that must have set so many people dreaming the what if it were me what if it were me what would I do with it I reckon that the pursuit for more money and possessions is usually motivated by anxiety or worry. For example, have you ever thought that if you just had enough money, you wouldn't have to worry so much? This worry causes many to strive to be rich and to accumulate an abundance of possessions and win the lottery if at all possible. And some spend more than they can afford buying the tickets in the first place. At this point in Jesus' ministry, thousands of people were gathering to see what he would do and hear what he would say next. News about this miracle worker from Nazareth was spreading far and wide. In verse 15, we arrive at a break in his teaching and someone from the crowd calls out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This demand, it certainly wasn't a polite request, is perhaps telling about the attitude of the man. Whilst Jesus had been teaching about fear in verses 4 to 7 and anxiety in verses 8 to 12, this man was thinking about his inheritance. That is, he wanted his share of the family inheritance. Jesus seems unconcerned about the details of this inheritance, so perhaps we shouldn't bother ourselves with them either today. Jesus quickly lets the man know that he has no intention of settling the legal dispute by telling him, friend, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus isn't denying that he has authority to judge. Rabbis did. But instead, he let the man know that he is more interested in making peace between the man and God rather than the man and his brother. It's at this moment that Jesus makes his point about striving to be rich. He says that our desire to be rich should be heavenly focused rather than earthly focused since our life belongs to God. Jesus then establishes a principle in verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all greed. Greed is the desire for more. We sometimes use the word covetous. Jesus says to take care and be on your guard against this because it can so easily lead to sin. The striving for earthly riches will suppress your striving for heavenly riches. In other words, because of the temptation to greed, be aware of it, because it will keep you from God. Greed is a sin, because it's telling the giver of all possessions, God, that he is less important than the possessions. It's placing more value on the gift, than the giver. Jesus says that we are to take care and be on our guard. When he says we must take care, he literally means that we are to be watchful, a good biblical word. Figuratively, our eyes must be open so that we we may see greed in ourselves and, yes, in others. We aren't only to open our eyes, But we must be constantly aware of greed and we are to be on our guard. If we discover that we are greedy or covetous, we are to guard ourselves, fight and protect ourselves against it. The reason, according to Jesus, is because, in verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. This is where it's important I believe, to have a Christian worldview. We need to think and understand the world around us in accordance with our Christian faith. The Bible clearly tells us that whilst this life is important, the next life is far more so. Therefore, we are told in Matthew 6 to not store up for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Our life is not given to us for the pursuit of an abundance of possessions, but rather our possessions, greater or smaller, have been given to us for the pursuit of God. If we are more concerned about what we have on earth, we are less concerned about what and even who we have in heaven. Jesus uses this parable to illustrate the point very effectively. Like all parables, it's exaggerated to make a point. It isn't the telling of a true event. It's commonly called the parable of the rich fool because the man in the parable is very rich and apparently very foolish. He's foolish because he's more focused on himself than anyone or anything else. His crops are plentiful and he's contemplating building bigger barns to hold them all. It all comes to an end when God says, "Fool! This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This man had not guarded against greed, rather he was gratified by greed. He bought into the ungodly worldview that says... Life consists in the abundance and security of possessions. And Jesus says this type of thinking is foolishness. Verse 21 tells us the point of the parable is to show the foolishness of one who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich towards God. The early Christians decided to sell their unnecessary possessions and goods and give to anyone who had need. You can read about it in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles. Saint Augustine, that early great teacher of the church, said about the man in this parable, he did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms Than his barns. He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. The Christian view tells us that since our life belongs to God, we should not strive to be rich, but strive to be rich towards God. The command is clear. Protect yourself from the unquenchable desire for more and more possessions. The reason is clear. God is not impressed by how many cars you have, how big your house or pension fund is, how much money you have or your stock options. Therefore, knowing your life belongs to God, use the possessions you have to meet your needs and the needs of others. If you do this you demonstrate that you are a disciple and worshipper of Jesus Christ. I remember once hearing of a newly ordained and very nervous curate who dreamt the night before his first sermon in his new church that he couldn't find the door to get in. And when he did, the service book and his sermon notes had been changed into Swahili, which which he wasn't familiar with. I know some of you think my sermons are probably being delivered in Swahili, but bear with me. But this parable from Jesus always reminds me of those kinds of dreams, and especially this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And I pause to give thanks for the life of James, um, who I'm sure was ready to meet his God. It's not a very comforting thought. In fact, I love the feeling of relief when I wake up from those particular kinds of dreams. Thank God it wasn't real. Everything is back to the way I expect it. And yet, Jesus promises, someday it will be real. Someday our life and an account of it will be demanded of us. In fact, St. Paul goes so far in Colossians, as we just heard, to say that right now we are in effect dead, that we don't truly become alive until that day when we meet Jesus in the resurrection. Yet I find it interesting that when we hear this, we often tend to go to the place of our own anxiety. What if I got it all wrong? What if I've been looking at it all wrongly, valuing the wrong things? And of course, the tone of this parable is exactly that. Be on your guard so that we can be prepared. It almost seems natural that we would approach our lives with God Checking and double-checking, living in a perpetual waking anxiety dream. Will God catch us doing what we shouldn't, like storing up treasures? But wait, who among us doesn't think about financial security? I know I do. In fact, aren't we constantly bombarded with messages that we should be storing up our wealth? So that we'll have enough to get by for ourselves and our families. So that we won't be caught unprepared in our earthly life. Isn't that being responsible? So then our anxiety becomes, are we doing right by God? Or are we doing right by the so-called real world? No wonder we have nightmares. In the lead-up to this parable... Someone is asking Jesus to be the wise king, the arbiter of disputes, and he turns the tables as he often does and tells them a story instead. But in it, Jesus isn't trying to add to our fears, but rather to alleviate them. In fact, just after this parable, he goes on to the more familiar passage where he exhorts us, not to worry about what we'll eat, what we'll wear, and instead to consider the lilies of the valley. In all of this, I think that Jesus is telling us that our life with God is not just another realm where we have to wonder if we're getting it right. Instead, he's saying that most of our anxieties are unfounded, Because the only real world in which we should actually live is in the kingdom of God. And what makes Christians different from others is not about savings account or investment plans. It's that true saving in our lives in the salvation of a God who died for us. And so our life consists of something more than we can store up on earth. And our true life is still being revealed to us every day. This very night, your life is being demanded of you, says Jesus. Who knows, in saying this, that our lives really belong to him. And he wants us to know this too. And he exhorts us not to get caught up in our earthly anxieties. Because there is so much more. To what we are here for. And God's dream for us, and it's a good one, is that we live to discover it. I like how Jesus puts it in this parable the rich man isn't criticized for storing up his treasures, he's criticized for storing up his treasures whilst not being rich towards God. I think we are so used to being grateful for the abundant ways in which God has blessed us that we can forget that this goes both ways. That part of discovering our true lives is to give our gifts back to God and to the world. Storing up our treasures is fine as far as it goes. But our real value as Christians is what we risk living into our faith when we are rich towards God. And as far as I can tell, as Christians, this involves some very specific tasks. Loving God and loving one another. Those are above all. Loving God and loving one another. But yes, there is also forgiveness, generosity, gentleness, and hospitality. It's all part of the package. And not just believing in these things, but living them, incorporating them into our work and our recreation, our learning and our rest, our family and our friendships. And not because we have to. It's not, or else, or else we will wake up and find a condemning God who is our worst nightmare. No. But because we know that this is the way that we truly discover the dream that God has for us, the kingdom of God that is here for us now, our true life and our true life's value. Maybe we should ask ourselves each day, is this who God wants me to be? Not because we're afraid that God might be disappointed in us, but because of our joyful belief in all the good things that God has in store for us. This is part of the dream that God has for all of us. The one where we wake up and say, thank God, this is real. The life of love and forgiveness and reconciliation and resurrection is the only real thing there actually is. This very day, our lives are being demanded of us. Our real life. The one where we realize that nothing is as valuable as the love of God. The one that we dream of and that God dreams of for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.